So this, this sermon series that we're starting today is called, as you can see, Seeing Jesus, Seeing God. It's part of the church, uh, church year. Um, we're entering the season called Epiphany. It doesn't actually start yet, but we're getting a jump start on it. Um, and, and the idea behind this whole sermon series and behind the idea of seeing Jesus, seeing God, is that each week we're going to take a look at a story from the life of Jesus, and we're going to ask, what does this show us, teach us about God? Um, because we believe as Christians that Jesus is the most perfect revelation of God to us, right? That when we look at Jesus, we, we look at God himself, right? And so we're going to kind of take a close look, a zoom-in lens and, uh, at Jesus and say, what does this teach us about God? And, and so, like I said, it's, it's part of epiphany. So if we can have, do we have, did I put that in there, the calendar slide with the circle thing? I thought I did. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys can see that where you're at. Maybe online will probably be a bit of a challenge. But this is the church church calendar. And some of you have probably seen this. Um, if you remember, the church calendar starts with Advent. Right? The expectation that Jesus is, is coming. The expectation that, that God is going to deliver on the promises that he's made. And then Christmas, that, that Jesus shows up. Right? Deliverance, salvation has come. But Epiphany is the season where it's like, this Jesus guy is here. What does that tell us? The light has come. What do we see? And so that's the season we find ourselves in for the next few weeks. After that um, comes the season of Lent. Um, Lent is, is tied intimately with crucifixion, with wilderness, with death, with fasting, with um, sacrifice. So that's the season that comes after Epiphany. So once we know what Jesus is about, then we kind of learn what it looks like to follow Jesus into the wilderness or follow Jesus while carrying our cross. And then when that just feels too heavy and too dark, you know, in the midst of Lent, there's Ash Wednesday where we're reminded that we, we, we once were dust and to dust we will return, that we're all mortal, we all have our own limitations. And Good Friday, which is another dark-themed uh, church day, but after things just feel too dark, then we jump into Easter and we celebrate that, that Sunday morning resurrection, right? New life, new birth. Um, and then there's a season after that called uh, Pentecost, where we look at what it looks like to, to live as spirit-filled people in the church. And then the big green circle at the bottom is ordinary time. Um, that's kind of the, the pastor's potluck. Like, what are we going to teach about? Whatever you want to. Um, and so that's a chance for us to do a summer sermon series, or to focus on whatever it is that the needs of our community or the needs of our church have. And that takes us all the way back to Advent. So that's the church year. I don't, some of you are probably familiar with it or not, but if we had a little pin, we could say, you are here, Epiphany. It's the season of revelation. Um, and so we're asking the question again, who is Jesus? What are we supposed to do with him? What does he teach us about who God is? When we ask the question, who is Jesus? Um, Luke chapter 9 answers that. Mark chapter 9 answers that. We've got a few, a few places. And, and Mark chapter 9 verse 7 says this. He says, Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Right, so we're, we know from the beginning, we know as, as Christians, we know that Jesus is God's son. Right? Like, so we, we kind of know the end of the story here. Right? Um, but today's scripture, or today's sermon is called Outsiders to insiders. Um, this is going to kind of be the oddball in the whole Epiphany series. Starting next week, we'll kind of ask a question each week. 
Who is God? Where is God? Where is God from? What is God saying? Who does God call? Like those will be the questions that we look at during Epiphany. Um, but this week's a bit of an odd one, and it's called Outsiders to Insiders. And I don't know if I've talked a lot about this yet. I still feel relatively new. Um, but I love a good story. Um, and I think the thing that I love about a good story is, is good characters, right? Like you can have an intriguing plot line set up, but if the characters are superficial or, or flat, then it's, it's really not that good of a story. And my, I think my favorite thing is when a character in a story or characters in a story have surprise kind of baked into them. Like you, you think you know what they're going to do and they do the opposite, or you think you know what to expect and they surprise you. Um, there might be a plot twist that shows up or, or they work against what you would expect them to be. And my favorite story of all time, and I, I guess it's broken into multiple stories, but my favorite story of all time is the Lord of the Rings stories, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, right? And the hero of those of the Lord of the Rings story, the hero of that story is a little bitty hobbit named Frodo. Right? And so what he does, what the story, and this is spoiler alert, alert you've had, you know, 80 years to read it and all the time to see the movies and stuff. So if you haven't seen it, I'm, I'm sorry to spoil it. But the, the point of the story is Frodo, this little hobbit who lives in the middle of nowhere that has no power, no real strength, no real ambition to do anything. Um, he's the hero. And he carries this, this ring of power into the heart of evil and casts it into a fire so that this ring of power can be destroyed. What's interesting to me about this, this plot twist in this story is that this, this entire series of books and stories are filled with powerful, mighty warriors and heroes and wizards and, and, and elves that have all different types of skills and abilities. And, and yet, they can't take this ring. They can't do it. It's the hero of this story is this weak little somebody that you wouldn't expect to be able to do a grand adventure. Right? So that, I think that's part of what makes it such an a, a important story to me is that plot twist, that unexpected. You would think that one of the other warriors would be the one to be the hero of the story. But the hero of the Lord of the Rings is this quiet, unassuming little hobbit with no real abilities in and of himself. And maybe that, maybe that fascination with role reversals and plot twists and all that is, I think that might be the reason why I love Scripture so much. I love the Bible stories so much. Because uh, once you understand that the Bible, each story has, uh, most often is a, is a plot twist built into it. It's backwards, it's upside down, it's the wrong people being the heroes, it's, it's the wrong people getting ahead, it's the wrong... Like, once you understand that, you see that it happens in story after story after story after story, right? The younger brother gets the blessing instead of the older brother, the way it was supposed to be. The slave who's thrown in a pit to die ends up ruling, <laughs> being raised to a position of power. The powerful, the ones that have everything going for them, they crash and they burn. The shepherd, the lowly, throwaway, castaway, becomes the king. The stone that the builder said, we can't use this, becomes the cornerstone, becomes the foundation. Right? The last, <laughs> those that the world says are, are at the end, the bottom, the least the worth, worth the least. Um, the Bible says they're actually first. The poor and the poor in spirit are the ones who are truly blessed. 
The meek, not the violent, end up possessing all the earth, right? So the Bible is just like one big plot twist in the story of human history. There's a way that things should go, you would think. And then the Bible shows up and tells a different story. And so one of the most popular uh, motifs, if you're in the literature or language arts at all, like motifs is, is, is important to notice in, in the Bible when you read these stories. And one of the most popular motifs of the gospel stories is this outsider versus insider motif, right? In so many of the stories about Jesus, there's, there's these religious insiders. There's these people who, who have all the knowledge. They have all the expertise. They have the positions and the titles that, that should make them closest to God. They should be the ones that know the most about what God is doing in the world. They're the religious insiders. They're holy. They do the right things. They keep the right laws. They should know what God is up to. But as you read through the gospel stories, you'll see they're actually the ones that are confused. They're the ones that don't get what God is doing. They're the ones that, that make messes out of situations because they don't know what, what, what's happening. Oftentimes, to our amusement and maybe to our comfort, it's Jesus' own disciples that are making a mess of things. Like they should be, we look at that, how did you miss that? You, you walked with Jesus, you should be familiar with what he's going to do. So we have those insiders that, that should know but don't know. And then in a lot of these stories, there's the outsiders who, who have no right, according to the traditions of society or culture, they have no right to know what God's up to. Um, along comes the Roman soldier. Along comes the leper. Along comes the poor woman, the widow, the sinner, the Gentile, the demon-possessed man. And in these stories, they're the ones that Jesus says are good. They're the ones that Jesus praises their faith, their trust. They're the ones that Jesus lifts up on a platform and celebrates. And so in the gospel, we have this, this, this insider versus outsider thing going on. The religious people who spend their lives studying the scriptures should be the ones to see what God's doing. And yet it's the Gentile Roman soldier who knows what God is doing. Or the sick person cast out of their community because they have leprosy that knows what God is doing. The Apostle Paul says that the gospel is foolishness to the wise. Those on the inside that you would expect to get it, don't get it. And those on the outside who have no business understanding what's going on, those are the ones that confess faith. And they understand who Jesus is. And once you, once you see that, you're never going to read the Gospels the same way again. If you read through the Scriptures asking yourself that question, who's the outsider and who's the insider? Um, you're going to realize the, just how radical these stories about who Jesus was really are. And so that's what we have in today's Scripture. We have this, this outsider category and the insider category. Now, the insiders are, are certain characters like the king of the Jews, Herod, right? King of the Jews, you should have an idea of what's going on with the Jews. The chief priests and the teachers of the law, these are religious experts. They, their job is to know what, what God says and what God is doing. So that's one category. And then, and then we have some magi. We have these wise men from the east. Right? That's another, another category. And then we have Jesus. So as we read the text, as we read this scripture here in a moment, ask yourself 
Who are the insiders? Who are the outsiders? And who comes to faith in Jesus? Who worships Jesus? It's a familiar story. You probably already know, if you, if you know about the wise men and King Herod, you probably already know what the scriptures is. But we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And like I said, this will be fairly familiar. Um, in, our, in my mind, at least growing up in the church, my mind, this is like, this is what happens on Christmas Day. But um, most likely Jesus could be up to two years old by the time this happens, by the time these, this happens. So anyways, just a little context here. But Matthew chapter... 2 verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. I should just stick one place to read. We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Pray with me, if you will. Father, we are grateful for this word of yours. We're grateful for the scripture that has come to us today, not just on pages um, preserved over time, but your very word that announces who you are um, to us today. Father, we are people that are just as the Magi, seeking you. Help us today to have eyes to see and ears to hear who you are and what you would have from us. We thank you and we love you. Amen. So insiders, outsiders, Jesus. (laughs) These are our categories that we're working with today. From the perspective of a first century Jew, which group in the story would be the insiders or closest to God? Right? We should have King Herod, right? I kind of already alluded to this. i tip my hand a little bit. King Herod, religious leaders, chief priests, right? Try to forget what we already know about this story, but if you just, just kind of approach it at face level, you would think that those would be the people that would know what God was doing. These religious leaders, the, the king, the chief priests, teachers of the law, those that are experts in the scriptures, they should know. These are the people who run the temple. These are the people that, that all the nation looks up to and, and that these people teach the whole, all the people. These are people who are professional holy people. These are your insiders, right? These are the people that should know. 
On the other hand, we have the Magi, or wise men. They're foreigners. They've come from far away. They saw a star, and they followed it. They aren't part of God's chosen people. They're not children of Abraham. They don't know the scriptures. They don't follow Torah practices. They don't have a Jewish hope for a Messiah. They don't have ancestors who were part of the 12 tribes. They don't, they, they're, they're outsiders by, by every definition. They don't live in the promised land. They follow a star and end up at Herod's palace. They didn't even end up where Jesus was. They ended up in Herod's palace, not Bethlehem. Those have to be our outsiders, right? So at that point, if you didn't know the rest of the story, and if you weren't familiar with Christmas, and you just stopped there, hit pause, who would you expect to be the ones to find Jesus? The ones with the scriptures that promised and foretold his coming? <laughs> the ones that, that said where he's going to be born? And the, and the people who knew those scriptures inside and out? People that had lived as part of God's people for generations? Or some people following a star that really didn't know what they were, what they were even searching for? Who would you expect to welcome and understand Jesus as the Messiah? You would think that the Jewish chief priests and teachers of the Torah would be the ones who knew that the Messiah had come, right? The ones with the Holy Scriptures in their possession, the ones who ran the temple, they should know about the arrival of God's promised one, right? But it wasn't them. The Magi, the wise men from far away, found Jesus. The priests wouldn't even have known about baby Jesus if the Magi hadn't shown up at Herod's palace. They were totally oblivious to Christ's coming. But instead of reading the scripture as a warning about missing out on God, which it's tempting to do, it would be great to talk today about how easy it is for insiders to miss out. Um, instead of talking about that, though, I want us to hear this as an invitation. Instead of the message being about how insiders miss God showing up, today's message is about how outsiders find Jesus. How outsiders come to know Jesus. How they come to see him. And seeing Jesus, how they see God. It's about the Magi seeking and worshiping Jesus. Today's message is about how these people who don't know anything or know very little about God end up worshiping the King Jesus. Because as a church, as the body of Christ, we have a, a mission, don't we? <coughs> Jesus has not only gathered us together as a community of believers, a community of faith, but Jesus sends us, his followers, out into the world with a purpose and a mission. And that mission is, I'm going to put it on the screen, make Christ-like disciples. To, to encounter people that don't know Jesus and invite them and help them become followers of Jesus. Or as it says in the, the wall in the foyer, our mission is to go make disciples. So if we as Battle Creek First Church exist with the purpose of helping people who are not followers of Jesus, outsiders, to become people who are following Jesus, insiders, or if our mission is to help people who aren't Christ-like, to become more like Jesus, a story about outsiders 
strangers on a journey that end up worshiping Jesus should be really exciting to us. It should be, it should be a, a story that, that we want to see repeated over and over again in our own lives, in our own community. As people called to helping others find and grow in faith in Jesus, this story should motivate us. We should get excited and celebrate the story of people who are searching for something and find Jesus. By following the stars in the sky, the Magi went from being outsiders who knew nothing about Jesus to meeting Jesus face to face. So the question then for us today is how do outsiders meet Jesus today? How do people who don't know Jesus meet Jesus? As a church who wants to be faithful to what Jesus calls us to do, and I know that as a church we do, I've had so many wonderful conversations over the past few months about how much we have a burden for those in our lives around us, how much we want to see people come to know Jesus. So I know that as a church, we want to be faithful to this mission. So as a church, how do we support and encourage people to meet Jesus? Do we just hope that, that people out there are looking up into the sky one night and they see a star and they just end up here on Sunday morning? I mean, that would be really cool. <laughs> it would save us a lot of trouble. But I don't think that should be plan A. Like, I don't think that should be, you know, our outreach strategy, our evangelism strategy. Yeah, well, the star is going to lead them here. <laughs> right? Well, there was a star, right? The, 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 actually, the two planets that came together right before Christmas. But it didn't lead to anybody here, I don't think. Um, it was too foggy, I guess. Um, so even if that did happen, though, and we had perfect strangers showing up to church out of the blue, like a star, they just showed up, like we opened the doors on a Sunday morning and there was a whole truckload of people. They're like, hey, we're here. I mean, that'd be cool. But here's something else that I know that many of us might not want to admit. There are people who have been attending First Church for a while. There's many of us, might even be members of the church, who still think of themselves as religious outsiders. Churches are, 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 are great places to show up <laughs> and kind of hang out on the fringe. And if I don't raise my hand, if I don't stick out too much, I can just kind of go with the flow. And, and, and nobody thinks I'm a bad person, but nobody really knows what I'm doing. And as long as I don't ask any stupid questions or do the wrong thing, I can just kind of be a part. There are people here today that have decided to follow Jesus, but beyond that, we might not know what a life of following Jesus will look like. We don't know where to go from there. It may have come forward, may have been baptized, may have been prayed, may have been accepted as a member of the church, but I don't know what to do after that. Or maybe church is just confusing. Maybe the language is like a foreign language. We haven't had that come up at all, have we? We say something churchy and people are like, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> maybe some of us feel like other people have it all figured out, but you feel like there's a lot about church or Christianity that just doesn't make sense to you. So there might be some of us here today that, that says, oh, I'm a part of First church, you might still feel like an outsider. You might feel like you're on the edge. And I would bet that there are more of us in that category than care to admit it. And so in, instead of just saying that we think people should grow in their faith, instead of just announcing or setting an expectation that 
we want people to come to church, and when they come to church, we want them to grow, instead of just hoping for outsiders to magically become insiders. First Church is, is going to make that very mission our primary focus for this upcoming year and beyond. The old saying, and this is one of my favorites, a goal without a plan is just a wish. You heard that before? <laughs> so if our mission is to make disciples, but we don't have a plan on how to make disciples, it's good intentioned, we mean well. If we're serious about being faithful to the mission that Jesus gives us to make Christ-like disciples in the nations, where do we start? We have to actually see people where they are. Now, this may sound obvious, but in order to help outsiders meet Jesus and to follow Jesus, we have to pay attention to who those outsiders are and meet them where they actually are and not just assume that we know everything about them or assume that we know where they are. So we're going to practice real quick about not assuming what we know about outsiders. And some of you are already going to know this because this is like my most favorite trivia thing that I go to all the time. So I've probably already had this conversation and ruined this experience, but we'll we'll go through it anyways. So in our story, the outsiders were the magi, the, the wise men, right? They come from afar with their their camels and all of that. We see the nativities, we see the songs and all that stuff. How many magi, how many wise men were there? (laughs) I see people going, I don't know. See, you guys already know this. You're you're ahead of me. Most people will say three, right? There's three wise men, right? We have the song, We Three Kings. In the nativity, there's always three, right? Right? We think we know who the outsiders are. We think we get it. But the scriptures don't actually tell us how many. And you guys already knew this. It wasn't as fun as I was hoping. Um, They brought three types of gifts, but it never says there were three. So before the the point is valid, I hope. Before we can actually reach people, before we can actually connect people with Jesus, we actually have to pay attention to where they're at and not just assume that we know. And the, the reality is that as insiders... The more insiders we are, the longer we've been insiders, the more that we've been a part of the church, it's easier for us to lose touch with people outside. It's easier for us to make assumptions about the way those people are. The farther we move inside, the easier it is for us to think that we know where somebody's at without actually ever talking to them or engaging with them. And so we have to be careful not to assume that we have them all figured out. So the question that is before us now is, how do outsiders become insiders? And how do we, as Battle Creek First Church of the Nazarene, that's a mouthful, Battle Creek First Church of the Nazarene, organize our energies, our resources, our ministries, so that it helps people move from strangers to family? How do we do that? How do we help people move from outsiders to insiders, from non-believers to Christ followers. How do we make that happen? What's the plan? And here's the answer. Here at Battle Creek First, we believe that whether you are listening to this sermon online and have never stepped foot in a church, or if you've been attending church for the past 50 years, or anywhere in between, and I hope that encompasses pretty much everybody, that all it takes to turn outsiders into insiders is just one step. It's your next step. 
We want to encourage everyone who's connected with Battle Creek First Church to focus on taking your next step. But what does that mean? I've got a slide here. I think that breaks this out. One step at a time. Okay? Church life can be overwhelming. It can be confusing. It can be, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do next. But the life of a Christ follower is, is made up of many steps. And the Bible is full of commands and invitations. There's a lot of things that the Bible tells us we should be doing that you have to do. There's, <laughs> if you talk to non-Christians, they have various views of what church people believe and what church people do, right? However, God doesn't expect you to do it all at once. Let's focus on one step, your next step. Right? It can be confusing, overwhelming, intimidating, and frustrating to look at a church and faith and try to figure out what you should be doing. If we believe that we can reach people that currently don't have faith in God, then we should understand how challenging it is to be new, how challenging it is to be an outsider and walk through church doors for the very first time, or second time, or fifth time. So we've identified six steps, actions, that I'm calling next steps. It's not a very creative title, not very confusing. (laughs) Simple is good. And no matter what relationship you have with Jesus, no matter what your experience with church, you can find your next step that will help you move towards a stronger faith with Jesus. So quickly this morning, I'm going to introduce the six next steps that we are going to focus on. And these aren't necessarily in like chronological order. You're not having to check these things off, so don't get caught up. Well, I did this one now. I've got to do this one next. The first one probably should be the first one, but other than that, the first next step is visit. (laughs) We're going to put a lot of focus and deliberate attention into the experience of guests. We're not going to hope that they feel welcomed and find a connection, but we're working on ensuring that we help guests come to see our church and understand why we love our church, and help them to love our church as well. We're going to be intentional about expecting and being prepared for guests, especially in the, in the world of online, where most people will probably check us out on Facebook or on the webpage before they ever step foot in the church. Um, it changes our, our model, it changes our expectations. So, so visit is going to be one of our, our next steps, point of emphasis. For some people, their very next step is just the step of visiting. And this is, it sounds simple enough to us longtime church people. But it's a real step of faith for people not attending church to come to church. It's a way of reorganizing their life. It's a, <clears throat> it's a way of, of making a priority something that they really probably don't know much about. So not only do we want guests to be here, but we want to be ready to help people take the hard next step of visiting a new church. The next, next step is connect. It's to grow spiritually, you have to be connected relationally. There's no solo artists in the church, right? There's no, no, no individual Christians. You're part of a community. And so there's a phrase, you've probably heard it before, but when it comes to spiritual growth, circles are better than rows, right? We're not about acquiring information, although knowing things about God is helpful, But it's about learning and sharing. It's about being part of a small community where people get to know you well. You can share your joys and your struggles. You can ask for prayer and check in on each other. You can share your faith, your experiences, your questions, all of it. And there'll be several areas where we we work to develop opportunities 
to help us connect, to help new people connect as well. In the, in the foyer, you'll, you'll see a, a bulletin board that's been identified. It's got the connect banner over that. In that area will be specific opportunities and ways people can connect. Um, because of COVID, we don't have a lot of discipleship things going on. Um, we do have Sunday school, but there'll be um, Sunday school small group. Hopefully we can get some small groups going as we progress in this year. Um, and there'll be information there on how to join a group, what to do if you're interested in starting a group, who to talk to if you have questions about this. We want to have it clearly defined, easy space to say, this is how I connect with people at this church. We obviously have some work to do, like I said, coming out of COVID, figuring out what our immediate needs are. Um, but like I said, I, I have some plans and hopes of, of getting some small groups, Bible studies going. Um, and we'll talk about that as the year progresses. Um, the next, next step is serve. Serving others is honestly the best way to grow in your faith. It may seem counterintuitive. You may think, I need to become a better Christian. I need to become a saint, <laughs> and then I can go help people. But serving people is actually one of the most formative things you can do as a Christian. Right? Serving is actually being like Jesus, and that will shape you and form you. So if you're attending worship on a regular basis and participating in a small group or a Sunday school class, but you still feel like the Christian life has more to it than what you're experiencing Serving might be what's your next step. Serving can be a catalyst for spiritual growth, and it's one of the main reasons why we're going to emphasize our ministries the way that we will this year. We don't want people, again, to be isolated. We want function as, as teams, as groups. Not only do the people on a team serve with a gift and a passion that God has given them, but they serve with other people. At best, a ministry team is a bit like a small church. They feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. There are a few more energizing things than being part of a team that has a mission and a purpose. If you've been a part of uh, the His Hand food packing thing on a Tuesday morning or packing the baskets on, you know, for, for the holidays like you did, that's a, that's a team that's serving. And it's fun and there's camaraderie and people are checking in on each other. And, or the worship team. There's a sense of identity there. They're not just a bunch of individual musicians. But there's a social element. There's a, a spiritual element to what goes on as part of a team. So when you sign up to serve, it's, it's more than just saying, well, I, I'm going to do something. But joining something. And I believe and we believe that everyone should be able to find out what their gifts and passions are and use them to serve others. And so in the foyer, you'll also see a serve board. And we're going to work on getting opportunities to serve and invitations to serve up there on that board as well. You know, that whole foyer thing's a work in progress, so don't look at it go, well, I don't get it. There's nothing on these boards, so don't get, <clears throat> you only do so much. All right, the next, next step is baptism. Yes, baptism is about going public with your faith. It's an outward expression of an inward decision. You've probably heard that a few times. It's also about entering into the family of God. It's a step of faith. For sure, but it's a way of identifying yourself with not only the church, but identifying yourself with 2,000 years of Christian history. It's a, it's a way of, of connecting yourself with a family of believers that spans over generations, that spans over nationalities and languages and, and, and eras and technologies and, and rise and falls of world powers. You're joining with a, 
a community of believers. So baptism might be your next step. And we'll have a space out there to communicate about baptism. Uh, your next next step might be to give. Not only does giving to the church support the work of the church, right? Pay the bills, keep the lights on, heat, you know, heat the sanctuary when it's cold outside, um, pay the pastor salaries, all those types of things that are, are important to us. Um, but giving uh, <clears throat> in a world that says more is better, in a world that says having more stuff is the way to happiness. Giving is a countercultural push. It's a countercultural activity. It's a way of rejecting the ways of the world. Being generous with your time, with your resources, with your talent is a way for you to be more like Jesus. It makes us more Christ-like. Being generous makes us more like Jesus. And so it's not about, you know, I'm going to emphasize giving because the church needs more money in the offering plates. We're actually doing pretty well financially. I'm not going to you know, say don't give. I'm not going to say that, but um, <laughs> I can breathe about the finance. Like, I'm not worried about it. Um, but it's, the emphasis is more because being a generous person makes us more like Jesus. I don't want to harp on that. The next next step, the last one, ties in with the first one. Invite. And so even if you're in a Sunday school class or you're in a small group and you serve in a couple different ministries and you give financially and give of your time um, and you've been baptized... There's still something tangible and simple that you can do. Invite. Not only does this mean invite people to church, which, I, again, I hope that you do. There's a statistic that's several years old. Um, that's why I didn't necessarily plan on doing it, but it popped in my mind, so I'm going to say it anyways. But I think it's four or five years old. That says 87%, 86%, of people that have come to a church have come because somebody invites them. It's not because of the pastor. It's not because of the music. It's not because the cool sign in the yard. Um, or their website, it's because somebody has invited them. Well over three-quarters of the people that come to church come because somebody has invited them. And so, yes, we want you to invite people to, to church, but it, it doesn't just mean invite people to church. It means invite them into your faith journey. It means invite people into your life so that you can share your story, your testimony, your experience with Jesus with them as you walk in faith. Now, if this is the next step for you, you will experience something wonderful and unique. Many of you are in church today because at some point in your life, somebody invited you to go to church or to go to a class or invited you to pray or to, to read the Bible, to study. And so if you work up the nerve to invite a friend, a co-worker, family member, classmate, a neighbor, whoever you have the opportunity to impact someone's life and faith. It, it's a great opportunity. I know it's not easy because you might be worried that it might impact the relationship. You know, if I invite them and they're going to think I'm a crazy church person, or what if they don't want to come? Is that going to mess up our friendship? Um, or what if they do come and they find out how crazy we are here? Like, I, I get it. Like, there's the whole, the whole gambit of, of concerns. <laughs> I mean, I understand. I, I, I have experienced... Many, many times where I get to know somebody and then finally gets to the, so what do you do for a living conversation? I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. I'm like, oh. 
and it changes the dynamic. So I, I get it. I understand the anxiety. But I'm telling you, it is, it is worth that risk. Because inviting someone to church is how outsiders become insiders. Come sit with me on Sunday. Come get a cup of coffee and let me show you around my church. Come meet me in my Sunday school class. Come see where I serve. We're doing great work here. right? We're really good at telling people what they should do or where they should go as a culture. We're really good at telling people what they should be doing. But as a culture, we're terrible at about inviting people to come with us. You should go to that new restaurant in town. Is, is, it's great. You should go there. It's a lot different than, hey, I just went to this place. It's great. Why don't you come with me the next time I go? One is advice. The other is an invitation. And so that's where the, the invitation cards come from. And then we'll have more of a permanent setup out there. Because... If I'm saying as a pastor, I, I hope you invite people, I want to resource you and give you tools and equip you to make it easy to invite people to come. I don't want it to be a barrier. And so we'll have it, I keep coming back to this name, and I don't like it because it sounds like a cartoon, but an invitation station out there. Um, but yeah, these are the six next steps. And if you looked on the back of your bulletin, you probably noticed that the goals section on the back of the bulletin um, got replaced with the next steps. It's not that we don't have goals anymore, that... It's still a thing, and, and honestly, probably needs rework coming out of COVID. But I wanted to put the next steps in your hand. And we're doing some work, like I said, in the foyer to, to make a physical location that communicates each one of these things. So whether you're a lifelong Christian walking in the door, or if you're here for the first time you've ever been here, you will be able to see what we're about. You'll be able to see an invitation to take whatever next step you need to. And the other thing is none of these things are new. Right? None of these things are, are things that, as a church, we're going, oh, I didn't know we should be baptized, or you know, I didn't know we should serve or give. I didn't know we put money in offering plates. Like, none of these things are new, right? But it's a way of organizing and emphasizing um, the activities of the church so it clarifies them. How do outsiders become insiders? It's not rocket science. And so as a church, these will be how we focus our energies and our resources. Um, you'll hear more about next steps as we go. It'll be a highlight. But I think as we start out the year, I wanted to introduce these categories, these steps. Because when I was interviewing with, with the board, one of the things that was communicated was, <clears throat> we're a church that's just as ready to make a difference. Like, we're good. Like, we love each other. We care about each other. We enjoy getting together. But we want to do something with that. And I saw that as, a, as an outsider becoming an insider in your church family, right? Like, you guys are a family. I don't use that word loosely. And there's people out there that would love and need to be a part of our family here. And, and so this is how we're going to organize ourselves. And, and these next steps um, will help us clarify what we're doing. And, um, and honestly, I know churches are notorious, pastors especially are notorious for counting how many people are sitting in the pews and how much money is in the offering plates. But for this year, this is what I'm going to focus on. These are my metrics. These are my goals. These are my thermometers I use to take the temperature. Are we inviting people? Are we having visitors? Are people connecting? Do we have new people coming to Sunday school? Do we have new small groups starting? Do we have people serving, plugging in, and helping 
in different ways. And I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come and lead us in one last song. And the invitation for us today is to commit to taking whatever your next step is. Um, and to pray for others to take their next step. Like I said, the Christian life can be overwhelming. It can seem confusing at times, especially if you're new. But I'm going to invite you just to commit to taking one of these next steps if you haven't. And if you've done all these things and you invite people and you, you give and you're in a Sunday school class and, and obviously visit, you're here, so like you've checked that one off. But um, then I ask you to pray for those who are needing to take their next step. And maybe be a tour guide. Maybe be a mentor. Let me help you take this next step.